Father and our God, we thank you that we can sit at the feet of the throne of grace and be fed with many good things from above, that we can together, as we heard in communion, share in Christ and the fullness of his blessings. And so I pray for the saints here, your beloved saints, Lord, those called to belong to Jesus Christ, that the shepherd would speak to them and that the sheep would follow him. I pray, Father, that your spirit would move powerfully, convincingly, and convict us, Lord. But we pray in all things, as we've been wonderfully reminded of today, that it begins, that we rest in, and that it all ends in the finished work of our Lord. So we do pray, Father, that Christ would be set forth as all-sufficient and all-glorious, that we might fully go after him. I ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, this is the time for New Year's resolutions. Don't know if you've made any yet. My New Year's resolution with my wife, we decided that in July we are going to try and run the Gold Coast Half Marathon, which is about 21 kilometres. The only drama is that I've always been a fairly active and fit fella, but I've never had a great relationship with running. Shin splints, knee troubles... So what I decide to do is that about a month before uh, New Year's time, I decide to sort of do a bit of research into what I can do to fix up my running style. That includes things like slowing my pace down till I'm pretty much almost walking, um, looking at my knee sort of journeys, um, form, all those sorts of things, heart rate. And the idea is, is that I would do this baseline, this preparatory work, so that the moment that New Year's Day hit, I would have the fundamentals sort of packed down and then I could hit the road running, no pun intended there. And the idea is that the preparation, the moment the 1st of January came, the preparation would be left behind and the time would be at hand to get moving. And as you probably noticed, in Mark's Gospel, this is how he opens up the Gospel to us, his account of the Gospel and our call to discipleship. There is something imminent, near and urgent There is this explosiveness, this immediacy, and this urgency that Mark wants to grip us with. The preparation period is done, and the time is at hand. God is beginning to do something powerful and wonderful in the coming of His Son. And as we come to verses 14 to 15 of our passage today, we are told what was beginning to unfold, as Ken read. It says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, saying the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And as you and I consider the topic today of call in your three-part series of call, cross and commission, we will see that Mark takes us back to this beginning Back to this beginning to re-establish our commitment to follow Jesus in the gospel. Now, the main crux of this sermon will be in verses 16 to 20, with references back to verse 15, and I would like to look at this through two simple points for us. The call and the response to the call. The call 
and the response to the call. Now, let's go to that first point, the call. Up on the screen there. In verses 16 to 20, I would just like to make these brief observations to start off with. In both cases, Jesus is the initiator. Verse 16, he saw Simon and Andrew. In verse 19, he saw James and John. In both cases, Jesus calls. Verse 17, Jesus said to them, follow me. Verse 20, immediately he called them. There's the urgency and the imminency in the call of Christ. And in both cases as well, Jesus defines the call. It's not vague, it's very specific. Verse 17, I will make you fishers of men. And while it's not explicitly stated, it's certainly reasonable to conclude that these contents of fishing, being fishers of men, are implied in verse 20 as well. Now, this term, fishers of men, in verse 17, connects the nature of the disciples' ministry to the ministry of Christ in verse 15 of proclaiming this gospel of God. And this gospel, which just simply means this good news, is what defines, is what pushes the imminence and the urgency of what is at hand. Because the imminence, or that which is at hand, is that in the person and work of Jesus Christ, the end times revelation of God's rule and reign over all things has broken in. It's already begun. But the urgency relates to the nature of the coming of Jesus to seek and save sinners and its connection to the end times expectation of the final judgment when the kingdom of God is to come in its fullness and his enemies are destroyed. And so what is so good about this gospel is that in the preaching of Jesus Christ, we have a glorious proclamation of a free offer of peace, of forgiveness, of reconciliation with God before the final judgment comes from the very judge himself. The king of the kingdom, instead of coming with a sword for judgment and destruction, he has first come preaching a message of forgiveness, of reconciliation. And this is what Jesus is calling Simon, Andrew, James and John, to not only receive for themselves, but to also participate in. He is calling them to be those vessels of mercy that will carry this good news out into the world, to be royal ambassadors heralding this gospel of King Jesus that God uses to bring repentant sinners into his kingdom. And the kingdom of God can simply be into salvation into eternal life, into eternal communion with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this is what Jesus calls you and I, right here, right now, 2,000 years later, to keep doing. This call is enduring throughout all ages until he returns. And perhaps perhaps you're here and you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus. Well, the call of Jesus to you from this word is that you need to repent and believe the gospel. Much contrary to what this world wants to tell us, there is a final judgment coming. There is a righteous judge coming to call everyone to account. 
And the call of the gospel puts you in a corner where you have to either think, am I going to take the claims of Jesus seriously or am I going to try and ignore it and face the consequences later? But what Jesus offers is forgiveness and reconciliation with a loving Heavenly Father. And so he would call you today, if you're not a believer, repent, believe the gospel, receive the finished work of Christ, and be welcomed into the family of God. But for those of us here today who are followers of Jesus, this is what Jesus wants us to be characterized by. It begins at conversion and it continues right through until our final breath. It's the gospel. That you and I, because of our sin and rebellion, deserve to be penned and crushed under the weightiness of the wrath of God. But God showed us mercy and gave us that forgiveness. He gave us that reconciliation through the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, His Son. And it's through that perfect, finished work that by turning from our sin and trusting in Christ alone, we can be cleansed from all of our guilt. I can't remember the lyrics from some of your songs today, but there was that wonderful language of being clean, of being accepted. It's not just that God forgives our sin and sort of puts up with us over there, but no, he says, come to me. I'm going to bring you near to myself and we will be one. We can be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus and welcomed into God's favour and be those who inherit his kingdom. Now that's good news, isn't it? And simply speaking, the call of Christ for us to follow him is simply living this kingdom life. It's following the king wherever he goes, wherever he calls us, learning from him the kingdom ways, learning from him, hearing from him, sharing in him, enjoying him. We live and we move and we have our being in the Son of God, in whom we are his kingdom people. We are ambassadors of his grace, heralds of his great love and mercy in the various spheres of life. And we are called to live out the fruits of our forgiveness, of our reconciliation. And that's the aroma of Christ in us. That we bleed forgiveness, we bleed reconciliation, we bleed the meekness of Christ and his great love for us in the various spheres of life that we find ourselves in. And there's another point to notice in verse 17 up there. Jesus says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. From now on, the disciples were to understand themselves and their purpose in this life defined and shaped only by the identity and the mission of the Lord Jesus. The king imprints his royal image upon his ambassadors. Jesus came to seek and save sinners. And his disciples, you and I, throughout all ages, are to be agents of that grace through whom Jesus continues his mission right to this very day to build his church through seeking and saving sinners. So as we consider who we are as followers of Jesus, we must remember that we are to be a people characterised by this gospel calling. The very gospel we were called by, the very gospel we were saved by, Paul said to the Corinthians, is also the gospel that we stand in. 
We stand in it, we're preserved in it, it defines us, it empowers us, it comforts us, and it holds us to the very end. And here, this really is the best New Year's resolution in it, isn't it? Very often, the best New Year's resolutions are the ones that we didn't finish last year. When are we ever going to reach the end of this resolution to fully follow Christ? It's to have ourselves recommitted to the riches of His grace, that we were not only called to belong to the King and inherit a kingdom, but we are given the great privilege of serving in that kingdom. And that is amazing. And it defines our life, it defines our joy, it defines our direction, our desires, our passions. If we are to have any soul satisfaction, any sustaining joy, any lively empowerment in this life through all of its ups and downs, we must bring ourselves continually back to this beginning, just as Mark does with his readers. We must constantly recommit ourselves, not just on January 1st every year, but day by day, hour by hour, if necessary, to Jesus. We must come back to His person and His work and have our our identity continually transformed and shaped by Him. So the challenge for you and me, beloved, as we consider the call of Christ upon our lives to follow Him, it's not an option. We're called to follow Him. You must follow Him. Is are we continually turning away from ourselves and looking unto Jesus in faith? Repentance and faith don't just happen at conversion. It's this one-time thing. That's what communion's for. It's a constant turning back and looking, turning back away and looking unto Jesus. How do you start the day? Do you start the day by presuming on your own strength, your own will, your own wisdom? Or do you start the day by coming back to the gospel, looking under Jesus, resigning yourself fully into the hands of his great person, confessing your weaknesses, confessing that really without him we have no wisdom, we have no power, we have no holiness, and that each and every day I need to be filled from above. Because if it's the gospel of grace we were called by, saved by, and stand in, then it's the gospel of grace, this endless fountain and feast of grace that we must continually return back to. You've got to keep going back to it. If we stumble, well, guess what you do? You turn back and you look under Jesus. You don't just try and pull your boots up and just keep going in your own strength. No, you go back to the source and fountain of grace. If we are weak, we turn back to the gospel and we look to Jesus. If we are anxious or discouraged, we turn back and look unto Jesus. And if any of you have been in trials of whatever sorts, can you honestly say that you have found any greater comfort than just by simply turning back and looking unto Jesus? Because you see, in similar fashion to Jesus' preaching of repentance and belief, The foundation that we build our lives on is one of habitual and continual repentance and looking in Him in faith. We must daily die to ourselves in order that Christ might be formed in us 
all the more. Daily, it's an exercise of coming to His Word and asking the Spirit to instruct us and fill us with this good heavenly food. And then we approach the throne of grace in prayer. Like Jacob, we wrestle with God until He blesses with us. And we come in confidence, asking for what we need to follow Jesus. If you look at yourself long enough, you will know what you lack. And Jesus says, come to me, ask, and you will receive, doesn't he? And he gives in abundance. And this is all so that we might be fishers of men, agents of the gospel in this world, faithful ambassadors of Christ in the spheres that he calls us to serve in, no matter what season of life, no matter what age bracket you're in, whether you're a mum changing diapers or you're retired in an ageing home maybe, I don't know. It doesn't matter. And I'm not talking about necessarily this sort of church and secular life distinction. There's no distinction in the Christian life. I'm talking about the whole of life. I'm talking about the entirety of all that fills from the moment you open your eyes in the morning until you hit your head on the pillow at night. Because for us, as Paul says to the Colossians, Christ is all and in all, isn't he? He's the cosmic, universal, sovereign Christ. He has dominion over every area of the Christian life. So therefore, everything in our lives is sacred, and it's meaningful in the economy of the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter the location or the vocation Christ has called you to serve him in. It doesn't matter because there's no location and there's no vocation that the call of Christ does not have all authority over. It doesn't matter, because He is the one with all authority. There is no location or vocation in which Christ cannot make you a fisher of men. You can be a fisher of men in even the most mundane and random things of your life, because it's His call. It's His kingdom. And it's his mission, and it's his grace that makes you to be what you are called to be in the sphere, the outpost of the kingdom that he's put you. The Lord Jesus knows exactly where you are right today, and he's put you there. And all he's asking you to do is submit yourself to me, follow me, and I will make you the fisher of men. Don't make yourself the fisher of men. Come to me and let me show you how to be a fisher of men. Consider an experience I had leading up to our Christmas breakdown. Well, that I had, sorry. So while I was on the tools as a carpenter, it was quite easy to have these discussions. Construction sites, residential construction sites, they're a bit like the wild, wild west, sort of anything really goes in terms of anything you can really think of. So in that sense, it was quite easy for me to very boldly and openly um, testify of my faith and have these conversations with people and not have a lot of... Uh, there was always pushback, but not a lot of consequences, I guess, because whatever went, went. But now that I've moved into somewhat more of a corporate setting, uh, the tables have turned. I've got to be quite careful with how I speak. Um, I've got to be, as Jesus said, as wise as a serpent, yet as innocent as a dove as well. And I've often wondered in my workplace, how am I going to get to witness to people? Yet, coming up to this week leading up to Christmas, my pastor had a meeting at about one o'clock and I said to him, all right, you know, I, I'm going to have my lunch break then and I'm going to go into my car and I'll pray for this meeting. So 12.30 comes, I'm going to go get my food so I can be ready to pray. And then as I get up to walk off, my co-worker, one of my fellow trainers, comes up and says to me, 
hey, can I come get lunch with you? And I kind of thought, oh, geez, I'm not going to be able to pray for this meeting. I don't know what might happen if I take this guy to lunch. And I was like, oh, I'll just take him to lunch. So anyway, we go to my car. He opens the front seat. Oh, and lo and behold, there's my Bible sitting there. And then this instigated a wonderful, probably 45-minute conversation in the car. When we had lunch, we sat in my car, and I could freely communicate to him of what I believed, of this gospel of the kingdom. It was a wonderful interaction. You see, the lesson in that is that in that moment, the authority of Christ and the call of Christ, it overcame and it took over my location and my vocation. I had planned to go and pray for this meeting that my pastor was going to have. But the sovereign Christ had planned for me instead to share the gospel with my co-worker. And even in that moment when he came up to me and made the request, I hadn't fully realised that behind his request was the call of Christ in that moment. Follow me. And in this moment, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And very often that's how the Lord Jesus works in our lives. It was the Lord that orchestrated the encounter. It was the Lord that put the inquisitiveness and openness into my co-worker's heart. It was the Lord that gave me a mouth to say what I needed to say, faithfully, lovingly, and openly. It was the Lord that exercised His perfect authority in that moment. And in the Gospel of Mark, this is how Mark portrays Jesus for us, isn't it? As completely authoritative over the elements, over demons of sickness, and through his death and resurrection, sin, Satan, and death. And Mark is trying to get his readers and us to see that this is the sovereign Christ to whom we can fully commit ourselves and follow him fully without resolve, uh, sorry, without reserve. Beloved, it's of great comfort and encouragement for us to understand this truth, that everything in our daily walks, no matter how mundane or how intense they are, it's all subservient to and serves the purposes and plans of the King of Kings. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. All things are subservient to His will. And if you and I are continually being transformed into the likeness of Christ, just doing those very simple things that we can grow in grace, if we are truly walking and progressing in our calling we will have more joy, we will have more comfort, more peace, more wisdom, more strength to respond accordingly as the King calls us to action. And this brings us to the second point, the response to the call. And all I want to do here is to press home what we see in the disciples' response. It's radical and it's amazing Verse 18, immediately they left their nets and they followed him. The urgency, immediately they left their nets and followed him. Verse 20, they left and they followed him. I like how the New King James translates verse 20. It says they went after him. They went after him. Immediately, without hesitation, without question, everything that they had planned for, everything that they had presently, everything that they held dear, they completely abandoned it. The whole lot of it, gone. It's done. Never to return to that way of life again. They left it behind and they went after the Son of God, the new and the living way. 
Here's a question for us. When Jesus calls us to be his disciples, what does he preface that call with? He says, deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. But what does he preface that with? Does anyone here know? He says, if anyone would come after me. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. If anyone would have any share in the riches of who I am and what I am doing in this world, let him first desert himself, abandon himself. Because if anyone would have any share in me, then we must be first resolved that without him, we have nothing. Without him, we have nothing. So, beloved saints here at Hertford Street Baptist Church, the crux of our application is not one of mere external conformity to the commandments of Christ, but it's firstly a matter of our hearts. Do you desire the Lord Jesus? Does your soul yearn for the Lord Jesus? As the deer pants for the water, does your soul thirst for the Son of God? In the terminology of Jonathan Edwards, is your very being held captive by the sweetness and the excellencies of Christ? When you read this passage and you hear his call to follow me, let me ask you this, right now, what is the response of your soul? He says, follow you. What's the response right now? Is it, yes, Lord, I will come after you. Yes, Lord, I will follow you. Where can I turn? You have the words of eternal life, or does it coil back? Does it question? Does it hesitate to fully go hand to the plough for the kingdom of Christ? Because your response and my response will only be as immediate and unwavering as our vision of the glory of Christ and our desire to have him. And only then, when Christ has all of us yielded to him, holding to him, will then he be pleased to use us for his service. Only then will he be pleased to use us. We only need to look at biblical history and church history to see that the men and the women Christ loves to use for his kingdom are the ones that first have an unwavering thirsting and hungering for him. And then the obedience to their calling on their lives was simply the fruit. It was like the knee-jerk reaction of their love to him. It just happened naturally. So in conclusion, having considered this text, this radical call to discipleship, the Word and the Spirit of God summons us here today, right now, to start new, leave it behind, and go after Jesus wherever He has put us. And then see how He will use us to build His kingdom and the challenge is quite simple. Are we going to respond? We're put in the corner, we either respond right now, or we don't respond and disobey, and we miss out on the great work that he's doing. Are we going to respond without hesitation? 
not necessarily knowing all the dotted I's and crossed T's, but by faith and faith alone, just saying, yes, Jesus, I will follow you. When Abraham was taken outside and he looked at all the stars and said, and God said to him, so shall your offspring be, did Abraham then go, well, can you just explain to me the mechanics of how this is going to work? No, it just says that he believed God. And when we hear the call to follow him, it's the response of faith that says, yes, I'll do it, and then you will teach me. And by the grace of God, I have prayed that it would be so for all of you beloved saints here today and the year going ahead. It has been a very sweet experience for me. I love preaching at other churches and I love fellowshipping with other churches. And my desire for you saints has been that you would heed that call. So let us come now before the throne of grace and ask that the Spirit would create within us those steadfast thoughts, those kindled affections, that resolved will, that in the light of all of the majesty and the riches of Christ, that we would see Him, behold Him, and be so allured to Him that we say, I must follow you. I have to. I just have to do it. So what I would like to do is just give one minute of silence before I close in a benediction for the church. And this one minute of silence just used to reflect and apply what we've learned today and to, do, and to do business before the throne of grace. I'll just give you one minute and then we'll close. Just go to the benediction. I love these words of Paul. He says, may, the God, uh, may God make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And can I hear the saints of God say amen? Amen. Let's pray. Our Father and God, we are overcome we are overwhelmed with delight and joy and wonder that firstly you would look favourably upon us in the first place to forgive our sins and to grant us, Lord, sonship to our Heavenly Father and to share in all of who Jesus is. And not only that, Father, but you are so pleased to even use us frail, weak, wayward people to manifest your glory and knowledge of Christ in all the earth. Being left in wonder, we sit and stand at the throne of grace with confidence and we ask, Lord, Lord Jesus, call us by your Spirit to follow. Create within us, Lord, the desire to follow fully and show yourself faithful to all of us, Lord, that Along the way, it will be you that make us to be the fishers of men that you want us to be. And I pray for this church, Lord. I pray that you would pour out your blessings abundantly on this church. May this church see souls saved. May this church see saints edified and built. May this church be a church where the knowledge of the glory of Christ abounds. And Lord, I pray for this church and all of its plans and desires for the year ahead and its leadership team, that you would uphold them, that you would care for them and their families, 
and that you would protect them from the evil one as they set their faces to follow Jesus and to lead the flock of God. So I commit this church into your faithful and gracious hands. You will complete the good work you began in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.